Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. If you have your Bible with you this morning, I hope you do, I invite you to open the Gospel of Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1 as we continue our study on the Master's plan of disciple making. Today we're going to look at come and follow me. We've seen that this is a process that Jesus used in bringing those men that he commissioned to impact the entire world. He started with that phase that we call the come and see phase when he invited those men to come and see and for a period of two to four months they observed him and we talked about how they watched him work miracles and be involved in the lives of people and demonstrate who he was and then a, a brief break there and we believe some of those disciples went back to their homes to, to think about it and then we're going to pick up the story in Mark chapter 1 as we follow the chronology of the events in the gospels where Jesus calls these men out to come and follow me about a 10 month period and then following that he later calls them to a deeper walk of come and be with me where he focuses in on those 12 disciples the key ones that he's going to use to impact the world through and that's about 20 months or so. So we pick up the story here. Jesus is calling some of these who have been involved. They've watched him. Now he's asking them to take that next step of obedience in following him. Chapter 1, verse 16 in the book of Mark. As he was passing along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, Simon's brother. Remember, we saw them called out earlier to come and see a few weeks ago. They were casting a net into the sea since they were fishermen. Follow me, Jesus told them, and I will make you fish for people. I learned that fishers of men, some translations. Look at verse 18. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, and they were in their boat mending their nets. And immediately, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee and the boat with hired men and followed him. Jesus calls these men out now. Not just to observe what was going on, but to actually get involved and to follow him in this ministry. Remember, we've said that what we're doing through this study is we're looking at the ways Jesus discipled others so that we can make application to us as we take on this responsibility of being a disciple-making church. So four things this morning that a disciple-maker will do from this passage and the passages that follow in this come and follow me phase. First of all, a disciple-maker will offer an invitation to follow A disciple maker will offer an invitation to follow. Verse 17, very simply, Jesus says, follow me. He calls his disciples, he calls those men not to a task, not to a job, but he calls them to the vision. And the vision is simply, you were fishing for fish and I'm gonna make you fish for people. He gives them this challenge that is bigger than they are that's bigger than just come and walk with me for a while and do what I do. He says, I want to challenge you to come and follow me, and I'm going to transform your lives, and through that, you're going to transform the world. That invitation that he extended to his disciples, when we make disciples, when we become a part of that disciple-making movement, that's the invitation we need to issue. Not come join me for a five-week Bible study. Not come to my small group so we can learn a lot. But I want to challenge you to come to this invitation to impact the world for Christ. 
See, the Great Commission is not go do a study. The Great Commission is not get together and feel good. The Great Commission is go and make disciples. Jesus gives them this invitation. I love what Jonathan Edwards said. I read this in a tweet this week. I just love it. He's, Jonathan Edwards, one of the, he didn't tweet this, by the way, because he lived back in the early 1700s. But somebody picked up the quote and tweeted it. I thought I'd better make that clear. This is what Edwards said. He led one of the great revivals movements in American history. He said, Lord, stamp eternity on my eyeballs. What, like that? Well, that's a vision, isn't it? Every person he sees, every encounter he gets involved in, every life experience he sees eternity, has eternity in view. I love the story about uh, someone asked a man, what are you doing? He said, I'm, I'm laying bricks, I'm a bricklayer. Went on down the, the, the walkway a little bit and turned the corner and there's another guy doing the very same thing. He said, what are you doing? He said, man, I'm building a magnificent cathedral. Same job, two different guys with two different attitudes. Jesus did not call us to lay bricks. He called us to do something mightier. He did not call us just to have studies for the sake of getting information. He called us to build the kingdom. He offers that invitation, and as a disciple maker, we need to offer that same invitation to others. Number two, a disciple maker will bear the responsibility for equipping disciples. This one, this one will grab you. A disciple maker, a person who says, I'm, I'm called to that responsibility to invest my life in a group of people so that they can learn and grow and then invest their lives in others, that, that responsibility there, the, the weight of that is to be borne by the disciple maker. Look at what Jesus says, verse 17 again. Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. I will make you fishers of men. He said, I take the responsibility as a disciple maker to, to be transformational in your life so that you can go out and be transformational disciples. Bear the responsibility for equipping. If we're going to be a church that's called to this kind of ministry, those of us who begin the process have to be committed to the fact that it's our responsibility to see that those people get through the process. I love what Vince Lombardi said, talking about his challenge to his team. He said, with every fiber of my being... I'm going to make you the best football team I can, and I'll try and try again, and if I don't succeed, I'll try again, Lombardi said. See, Lombardi, his focus wasn't, you guys better be a good football team, by the way they were. His focus was, I'm, I'm responsible to make you a good football team. Now, we know the Holy Spirit's involved in what we're doing, and it's his ultimate responsibility to do the transformation of character, okay? So don't get me wrong here. But as far as the earthly uh, teacher, the earthly disciple maker, we have to say this is important enough where I want to take the responsibility for making sure this person makes it through, that this person becomes a disciple maker themselves, that this person multiplies their life and ministry in someone else. See, that's how you reach the world. You just multiply disciple makers when I was a kid learning how to ride my bicycle, I started with a tricycle and then moved up to the bicycle with training wheels. Everybody go through that route just like I did? And, and I can remember my parents teaching me, they would run along behind me. When we finally took the training wheels off, big step, they would run along behind me and hold the bottom of the seat like this. And I'd take off. And you know what they would say every time? Don't worry, I've got you. Because what, what are you worried about? No more training wheels, I'm going to fall. That reassuring voice behind me, don't worry, I've got you, made it possible for me to 
stop leaning and finally find that balance point where I can make it. Folks, that's the attitude we've got to have. We've got to say to these people that we bring into our small groups and we nurture them, don't worry, I've got you. Number three, a disciple maker will develop disciples by exposing them to ministry opportunities. A disciple maker will develop disciples so that they will be fully devoted followers of Christ by exposing them to life experiences, to ministry opportunities. He'll put them in a situation, he put the disciples in a situation where they weren't catching fish. He put them in a situation where they're in a boat in a storm and the, the waves are crashing and they're panicking. What are they going to do? He'll put them in situations where they have to step out in faith. He'll, he'll bring a, a crowd of 5,000 plus people, 5,000 men and, and their families, and then say, okay, what are you going to do about it, guys? Give them something to eat. He put them in those ex- life experiences where they had to learn and they had to grow. A disciple maker will do the same. It's not just about a study. It's about life experience exposing them to those kinds of things that are going to cause them to grow. My kids have learned, both of my kids are grown and uh, out of the house, like Andy said, they did go, they finally, they learned that part. So it, it does work. But when they were growing up, there was a temptation as a parent not to let them experience some life experiences because I knew how t- tough they were going to be. You know, you just want to do that. You just want to save them from the hard knocks. But you know, it's the hard knocks that causes them to grow and learn. Give them those life experiences. Our kids learned to grow not by me overprotecting them, but by me letting them fall and get hurt and scrape their knee. My daughter, when she was little bitty, she loved to climb. She was a climber, and she would climb trees, and and then she'd get to the top, and she'd scream, Daddy, Daddy, help! And I would go out there, and I would stand like this. Now, I was ready to do this, okay? I was ready, because I had her. But I'd say, hun, you got up there. Daddy's not always going to be here to catch you and help you down. You're going to have to find a way down. She did not like that one bit. Not one bit. But you know what? She learned how to get down. The next time she would climb the tree, you know what she figured out? I better be sure, however high I go, that I can find my way down. Life experiences. We need to allow people to experience ministry opportunities. And not all of them are good. Ministry is messy. Have y'all learned that one? Not all of those ministry opportunities are hallelujah, praise the Lord, shout and wave your hands. Some of those ministry opportunities are gut-wrenching, causing sleepless nights and causing hurt. But Jesus wants us to be involved in those because that's where we grow. Number four, a disciple maker will ground the disciples in the fundamentals of the Christian life. A disciple maker wants to be sure that those people who enter into that covenant to be in this process of disciple-making. He wants to be sure, she wants to be sure that they are grounded in the fundamentals of the faith. I love Vince Lombardi again. When he told his team he was going to help them win, you know what he said before he said that? Gentlemen, this is a football. Famous, famous quote. How'd you like to be a, a coach? And that's the famous quote that you're known for. Gentlemen, this is a football. Now, what was he saying to those guys? Guys, we're going to get back to basics. Everybody in the room knew it was a football, but he had to remind them of that. Jesus was letting these guys know that there are some basics in the process of disciple-making that you have to be grounded in, and we're going to look at four of those, and it's debatable. I could expand that list, but we're just going to look at these four for right now, okay, because these are, these are essentials. The first one, letter A, the word. Those 
followers of Christ had to be grounded in the word. That's collecting daily truth from the word of God. Look with me at verse 21 in Mark chapter one. Then they went into Capernaum and right away he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and began to teach. They were astonished at his teaching because unlike the scribes, he was teaching them as one having authority. Right after Jesus calls these guys to follow him, he's gonna make them fishers of men. He takes them to the synagogue. And can you imagine sitting at the feet of Jesus and having him teach? You would be just like verse 22. You would be astonished because you'd never heard anything like that. Jesus takes them to the word. I, I cannot imagine hearing someone teach the written word who is actually the living word. Get your brain around that one. The Logos, the Word, John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. Jesus was the Word, the Logos, before he was Jesus in the, in the flesh. He was the Christ, the eternal Son. There was the Word of God, and now here he is in the synagogue, the living Word of God, teaching the written Word of God to his disciples. He's letting them know, guys, you need to be grounded in the Word. Uh, you might want to write there along if you're taking notes daily, daily, daily. Every day, like food, you need it. It's your nourishment. And it may be a verse a day. It may be a passage a day. It may be a paragraph a day. It may be a chapter a day. You may be one of those who are on this, the plan, like some of us are reading through the Bible, and it's several chapters a day. Be in the Word of God. It's, it's foundational for a disciple. By the way, I love what Billy Hanks says. If you miss a meal, you don't quit eating. How many of us have struggled with the devotional time or a quiet time, as some call it, or a study time, and, and things get busy and hectic, and so you miss a day, and then you miss another day, and you just, ah, oh, I give up. Probably all of us have stacks of devotional books we've started. Probably many of us tried to read through the Bible, and we got a couple of chapters in and gave up. Don't stop eating just because you miss a meal, okay? The word. Let me move on. The second fundamental is prayer. Prayer. Skip down with me to chapter, it's still in chapter one to verse 35. Again, Jesus has told these guys, come follow me. And he, they're with him now, following him, and he's taught them the word, and now look at verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up and he went out, and he made his way to a deserted place. Why? The Bible says he was praying there. And Simon and his companions went searching for him, and they found him and said, everyone's looking for you. They, they weren't aware at this point that that's the way Jesus did things. He spent time alone with the Father every day. And there were times, and as we go through these gospel narratives, when Jesus had to get away because of the pressure of the crowd. But just at the very beginning of this come follow me phase of disciple making, he lets the guys know. Wow, isn't that great that they had to go looking for him? What's he doing? Where'd Jesus go? We want to talk to him. What happened to him? And they find him away, alone with the Father, praying. Tell you what, if, if the Son of God took time to be alone with the Father, how much more do we need to be alone with the Father? I can remember one of the, just those uh, mountaintop experiences of my life was walking through Mirror Woods in, in, near San Francisco and I'd gone there as a part of a study program, and I was on a silent retreat. I wasn't allowed to say anything the whole day, and just went and walked and had my Bible and my journal, and 
I want you to know it took, it took a few hours before my brain just quit doing what my brain does. Anybody have that trouble? When you're not talking, this, all that stuff's going on. It took a couple hours to finally kind of settle down and begin to listen. And I spent the day listening to the Lord. And, and that, that experience has, has just been a part of my life now. Not that I can go away all the time, but when I do, I, often I try to do that. But every, every day just to sit back there on my porch or my swing or to sit in my study and just, just spend time in prayer. And I listened. Some of us haven't figured this out, that prayer is communication with God. Do you know that communication goes both ways? Some of us, our prayer life amounts to, okay, God, here's what I've got on my plate today. Would you take care of this and this and this and this and this and this? So when I'm going to be even bigger than that, I'm going to move beyond myself, and I'm going to pray for everybody else and take care of them and them and them and them and them, and then, oh, man, it's, I'm done. i got to go. Prayer needs to be listening to the Father. By the way, that's where the word comes in. You read the word, you meditate on the word, and you pray, and you listen to the Father. So Jesus emphasized the importance of the word. He emphasized the importance of prayer. Letter C, he emphasized the importance of witnessing. To witness, that just means to share. Look with me at verse 15 in chapter 2 now. Chapter 2 of Mark, verse 15. While he was reclining at table at Levi's house, by the way, the tax collector Levi, Matthew, he just called out to follow him. Many tax collectors and sinners were also guests with Jesus and his disciples because there were many who follow, were following him. Now, who, were, who was following Jesus? Tax collectors and sinners. In other words, the people that nobody wanted to do anything, wanted, didn't want anything to do with them, the tax collectors, the, the people that society saw were, were mean oppressive, greedy, unethical people, and sinners. That's people that weren't like those religious leaders. When the scribes and the Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Can you believe that? When Jesus heard this, he told them, those who are well don't need a doctor, but the sick do need one. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. What Jesus is saying is, I need to spend time with lost people. And tax collectors and sinners are lost people. Now, that lost people phrase is not my phrase or a Baptist phrase. It's biblical. Jesus says that, the Bible says Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. That means those who are alienated from the Father, those who are outside the fold, those who need salvation in Christ. Our responsibility as disciple makers is to remind people of the importance of the word, the importance of prayer, and the importance of sharing our faith. And part of that is Jesus models it means spending time with lost people. One of the tragedies, and I'll call it a tragedy, of being in the ministry is, is, is a vocation is that I, uh, I get isolated from people who need Christ. Now, that doesn't mean some here need, don't need Christ because there are people who come every week who still need to give their lives to Christ as Savior. But I, you just get in this bubble, this, this church bubble, where all your friends are church people, which is good, and I love it. And all your parties you go to are parties with church people, which is good, and I love it. But we get, we get insulated from the reality that there's a culture out there that needs Christ. Someone was asking me this morning, they had a passion to reach some street people 
in another city and, and, and asking a pastor, if Jesus were here today, would he be in church with us or would he be out there on the streets with those street people? There's a good question for you. I said, I think he'd be both places. I think he'd come here to remind us that this is good and we need to have fellowship. And it's important. It's a, 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 we're going to look at that in a minute. An important part of the Christian life, but then you have to break, huddle, and go. How many football games have been won by great huddles? Okay, I'm leading the huddle today, guys. Come on. Let's talk about the plays. Great. Anybody got anything else? Oh, your grandma. Let's pray for your grandma. Let's, let's talk about your grandma. Just, that's not how you do it. You don't win by talking about stuff in the huddle. You break, huddle, and you go. That's what Jesus demonstrated. He hung out with lost people. When I was growing up, my dad was a chiropractor, did it for 40 years of his life, built a business in El Paso, Texas, his his practice in El Paso. And one of the things, I did not know what my dad was doing until I got older. We were always going clear to the other side of town to buy groceries. And there was this guy that would come to our house every week that drove an old VW bus, and he'd always come to our house for cleaning. In those days, the cleaners came to you. And my mom would always go dig through the closets and find stuff to give this guy. And I'm thinking, why do we have to hunt for dirty clothes to give the cleaner? And then I discovered later that those were people who were patients of my father. And he said, if they're going to come do business with me, I'm going to do business with them. My father went out of his way to find dirty clothes to help this cleaner stay in business. My dad went out of his way to drive to the other side of town the other side of the tracks, a place, a community where I wasn't comfortable hanging out with to buy groceries from this family-owned grocery store that I was freaked out by because it was one of those where the animals and stuff are displayed in the back there, you know? Yeah. But my dad did that because he wanted to be with those people who did business with him. And I thought, well, there's a principle that, that we as church people have to be with people and not just us-ins. We have to go where they are, spend time with them. We have to break, huddle, and go. Recently, one of our deacons came to the early service and then went home and was helping a neighbor with a project at their house, and it turned out taking a lot longer than it was expected. Missed the second service, and some have said, well, that isn't right. That deacon should have been in church. I think that's what a deacon ought to do. We tease them, they ought to deke, right? Serve people, involved in the lives of people that are outside the fold. Spend time with lost people. Number four, letter D. The fourth thing a disciple maker has to be grounded in, the word, prayer, witnessing, and fellowship. Fellowship. Now, I'm not talking about when we say, everybody join us in fellowship hall for a meal, all right? I'm talking about the biblical koinonia, the biblical community, genuine, intense fellowship. By the way, when the Bible says that the Pharisees were upset because Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners, they're upset that he had fellowship with them, that he was involved in their lives. So we talk about biblical fellowship. It means to be involved in the lives of people who are members of the body of Christ. Look with me at John chapter 13. It's going to be a while before we get there, but I just want to jump ahead because here's where Jesus states this important truth. John chapter 13, in verse 34. Jesus says to his disciples, a new command I give you, love one another just as I have loved you. You must also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. 
Can I paraphrase for us, church? The way the outside world is going to know that we're followers of Christ is the way we love one another. Think about that for a minute. That, that relationship I have with God the Father is going to affect my relationship with others. That vertical relationship impacts this horizontal relationship. I cannot be wrong. I can't have wrong relationships and say I'm right with God. It doesn't work that way. I have to have right relationships and it puts me in right relationship with God. Intimate fellowship. I'm so thankful to be a part of a church where this takes place, where people care for one another. We are not perfect. We said that a couple of weeks ago, didn't we? We are not perfect. We're just a bunch of imperfect people struggling. But by and large, the attitude and mentality of this congregation is to, to do that connecting, that loving, supporting. There was a time in, in the life, in, in this church when I was pastoring and uh, didn't have enough money to live on from week to week. This goes back a few years. And um, we were having some philosophical conflicts with some leadership in the church. And, uh, and one of those leaders found out that my car needed tires called me and said, put tires on your car, I'll take care of it. I was very uncomfortable because at that moment, we were in conflict about some church stuff. And this guy said, look, pastor, it doesn't matter if we have a difference of opinion, a difference of opinion, if we disagree, you have a need and I want to meet that need. Well, that taught me something. That's what you call biblical fellowship. See, you don't have to get along in a sense that I agree with everything the other person does, but you have to love that other person. The master's plan is come and follow me. Jesus didn't just tell them how to do it. He showed them how to do it. When I was a teenager, I bought a 64 Chevy truck, straight six, one barrel carburetor. Oh, man. Points, all that stuff. It was so easy to work on. I didn't know anything about working on a truck, but I had a friend. I'd go over to his house and help him work on his truck. And then one day... I knew that my truck needed the valves to be adjusted. And I called him and I said, I need help. He said, you can do it. I said, just take off the valve cover and do this. And he, he just said, you've, you've seen me do it before. You can do it. He turned me loose. You know what? I was able to do it. There were a couple of times when I had to pick up the phone and call him. Say, I need help. He walked me through it. He had my back. He covered me. Same guy that taught me how to weld the old arc welder where you'd be going along and the rod would stick and the engine would rev and we'd have to stop and turn loose and cut it. And he, he let me make all those mistakes. But he taught me. That's what disciple making is. That's what we're calling this church to be a part of. Wherever you fit in there, this is the mandate. We're to follow him. Will you pray with me?